the Simpleton Podcast, the official podcast of A Simple House. I am here with Colin Miller. Yes, it's good to be with you, Clark. Now, Colin um, is kind of interesting. Well, he's interesting for an infinite number of reasons. But <laughs> I, we have him here because he is the co-founder of Source of All Hope Ministries. Yup, I am the co-founder, along with the diocesan priest from the Archdiocese of Baltimore, Father James Borick. Right. And Colin is a friend of a lot of Simplos missionaries, but also I'd say our ministries are friends. Oh, our ministries are totally friends. At this point, it's been, so we've only existed for three years, right? But even since that time, we've had um, the missionaries from a simple house in DC. They've been able to come over and spend Guadalupemus with us. And what is Guadalupemus? It's just like Christmas, but for Our Lady of Guadalupe. So Ultimately, it's an excuse to come over, eat Mexican food, hang out, swap missionary stories. So it's a good time. Great. Okay. So it's kind of interesting to me because um, I didn't know that you guys were hanging out that much, but it's really great. Like yeah. early on at Simple House, uh, there's a ministry out in Phoenix, Arizona named Maggie's Place. And we used to kind of like cross pollinate with them all the time. And it was like they were at a different ministry than us. It was like sheltering um, pregnant mothers. Yeah. But uh, it's just amazing how beneficial it is to have friends uh, doing ministry, running ministries, doing startup ministry like you guys are, and just how that can just help, just, you know, compare notes. Yeah, no, it is cool. It takes you out of kind of, gives you a new perspective where you can see things in a different way. But also, I think we when you swap stories, it reminds you of all the awesome things about your own ministry. And you're like, actually there's some awesome things that are happening here. So cool. what, um, explain to everyone, what is the primary mission, uh, or work of source of all hope? Well, we exist as a community of, you know, somewhere right now we have seven missionaries and basically what we do, we live together. We pray together. We go out to the streets and come to know men and women living out there home experiencing homelessness as friends. And, do you help them or do you just befriend them? What actually do you do when you meet the homeless? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, ultimately we befriend them and our firm belief is that in that friendship, genuine help is made available. And that relationship is the foundation for so many other different things. Okay. So when you say that through the friendship help happens and are you, do you mean spiritual help or do you mean that you're actually like um, filling out housing paperwork, getting people IDs, like fit, like material help? What, what do you mean? I mean, that's a great question. Honestly, the, the door is open for anything and everything. The, you know, we've had some, some of our friends really start coming into the life of the church. We've been able to get stimulus checks for our friends. We've been able to refer people to different orders, uh, to different social, um, social services and different things like that. So we really run the gambit. We take people to the aquarium. You know, it's it's whatever. Once we get to know someone, we know what their hopes are, what their dreams are, what their fears are, and we work with that, whatever that means. What brought you to the point of wanting to, by the way, I think everyone that, like part of the point of this whole podcast that Simple House is putting out is to help people imagine new things to do in the church. Right. I think the Catholic Church is far more entrepreneurial 
than anyone wants to think. I think St. Francis was this incredible innovator, and there's all these innovators in the Catholic Church. And so whenever we get people who have done something, started something new, I think it's great. I think it just helps broaden people's minds about what's possible. And I always think that we're recording this podcast for um, friends and for young people today who might consider doing this, you know, might want to help support them do stuff like this. So what brought you to the point that you thought, like, did you have a job before Source of All Hope? What, what is your kind of faith history or what that brought you to the point that you thought, hey, I think I will help start a mission to the homeless people of Baltimore. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild journey. And at no point was this um, something that I projected myself to do. I was like, yes, I'm going to be a missionary and do all of these things. Things just happened. And I kind of fell into it, but I just kept taking steps. And the Lord just kept opening doors. But So, so you don't have a master plan. No, there was no, there was never a master plan. No. Do you have a master plan now? Do you know where you want to be in five years? So now I've got a little bit more of a sense of where I might want to end up. And it's, yeah, it's different, but everything changes each year. Like being in a missionary program that's so new, you never know what's going to be thrown at you. And that's part of the adventure of it. That's part of the difficulty of it. So, well, I, I'm curious. I haven't heard your kind of story, I guess. So can you take me back to like, at what point, you know, how your faith developed that made you want to be a missionary or like where you're from originally and like, yeah, yeah. That type of history. Oh, totally. So I grew up in Maryland, an hour away from Baltimore. I never went to Baltimore growing up. My family went there maybe three times ever when I was growing up. So is that because it's scary in Baltimore or I think that's part of it. And there's also other than the inner Harbor, you know, you go to the aquarium, you go to the science center, you go to a nice restaurant and that's about it. But for the most part, you know, you're out living outside of the city. Most of the time people just tell you, yeah, just don't go into Baltimore. How old were you when the wire TV show came out? Oh my gosh. When, when did it come out? I don't know. Yeah. Neither do I. I think it was <laughs> like, like but did, did you watch or something. It? No, I never watched it. Okay, no. so that's not why you were scared because you watched no, the TV No, I wasn't show. scared because I watched The Wire, nor did my parents watch The Wire. It's just, um, and I, I think it's just, you know, people just hear about Baltimore. It's just got a rough reputation. Right. Yeah. So, okay. All right, well, bring us. So you're now growing up in the burbs. You're clueless about Baltimore. Keep going. Yeah, so I end up going to the University of Maryland study fire protection engineering and up sticking around um for a phd in mechanical engineering i thought i was maybe going to get involved in academia or different things like that so you must have been pretty decent at engineering i well sort of i was good at research when it came to a lot of the designing and different things like that i wasn't really into it but research was awesome so i fell in love with that what does um for those of us who aren't as familiar with engineering what does research and engineering mean? Does that mean like you design different sprinkler heads or something for fire management? Or like you said you were yeah. in fire protection engineering, yeah, yeah. right? So like tell me what, what does research mean? Well, it means a million different things depending on what you're researching. But for me, I was researching wildfires. So basically, you know, you have a model plane and you can shrink down a plane. And if you get the dimensions right, 
you can actually run tests on like a little plane and simulate a larger plane. We were trying to do that with wildfires. So we had this little, um, this little blower that would simulate like wind and we would simulate wildfires just with a standing burner and take measurements. So it was pretty cool. It was really novel at the time. I mean, did you have like a little landscape built full of miniature trees that you were burning <laughs> down? So we didn't, but I went to uh, a forest service lab in Missoula, Montana, where essentially they did. And that was really cool. That's crazy. So, so you're in grad school and when you leave grad school, do you go take a job doing this or like what, what's your next step? Yeah, that would seem to be the logical next step, but I ended up finding myself during grad school. I basically had a conversion, like powerful moment where I just encountered the mercy of God through the sacrament confession on a silent retreat. And I just wanted to give my life back to him. And so what that ended up doing is during grad school, I would go out to the streets and I got to know men and women experiencing homelessness and it just became something that I, I pursued and I fell in love with. Would that be in DC then? Cause you were in college park, Maryland, yeah. which is for people who don't know, that's like on the border of Washington, DC, right? Yeah. So actually okay. it would be, what would happen is every week I would go to wash dishes at a medical facility for the homeless. Christ house. Yeah. Christ house. All right. All right. Everybody. Uh, when I, before Simple House, I washed dishes at Christ House. Are you serious? Yes. I no. did it. The only slot they had open was Sunday morning. Yeah. So I used to go Sunday morning. I think I used to go before mass and I would wash on Sunday morning. That is so funny because yeah. that's exactly how I got started. It was just the first thing that Are became available. Are there still some nuns there? I never saw any nuns. Okay, well, this was 20 years ago, and they were fairly old when I was there. Yeah. And I lived in the building adjacent to Christ House. Like, I could look out my apartment window in Adams Morgan and look at Christ House. And this is back when Adams Morgan was kind of rough. Yeah. Adams Morgan's not very rough anymore. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a guy, David Coates, who was the um, cook at uh, Christ House. So funny. And he's not the cook anymore, right? No. Uh -huh. Okay, good. Yeah, and he um, had retired or he hadn't retired, but his previous job had been a country club. And then he'd gone from a country club to a homeless shelter yeah. to be the cook. And um, we have quotes from him in our training manual because of how profound he was. No way. Yeah. All right. So you went to Christ House. Yeah. Right? So you're meeting the guys at Christ House. Yeah. Great. I went to Christ House, meeting the guys at Christ House. And really, every time I would go to Christ House, I'd walk from the metro I'd go to Christ House and I'd see the homeless on my way there. I'd see people right. in different areas, but I had no idea how to engage them. I would, you know, my heart was moved from them, but I, I just felt helpless around them. Can we back up? So yeah. you went on a silent retreat and had a powerful moment during confession. Right. Right. People don't go on silent retreats unless they're already moved. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not like just the random course of events. You end up on a silent retreat. Yeah, to no, to some extent, you know, I was still living out my faith. I was kind of lukewarm in different areas, but, um, you know, sometimes someone just like what happened for me is someone pitched the idea like you should go check out this place. I was originally trying to go on a mission trip with these guys. And, you know, part of the reason was it just sounded like a cool adventure. I was like, this sounds cool. And then eventually someone was like, well, maybe before doing that, you can go on a silent retreat with these guys. And 
you know, I really, at this point in time, I was just kind of floating around and just figured, yeah, why not? Let's just see. But you're still in grad school at this time? Yeah, I was, this is my first year of grad school. All right. And when you say these guys, this silent retreat, is this like Jesuits? Is it Benedictines? Is it, what is it? The IVEs. So are they the blue people? So the servidors are the sisters that are they, with them. They, they dress were, in the blue habits. They have blue habits. All right. Everyone should kind of know this because Laura has a lot of friends and spent time with them. And we kind of know them through that. Yeah. Okay. Instituted were, the incarnate word. Am I right? Yes. They okay, were classics. What, yeah. Why is it abbreviated IVE? Something Latin, I think. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I so you went on a silent retreat with them. <laughs> yeah. And went to confession. Very profound, right? Yes. All right. Then you go to Christ House. Right. What's the next step? Well, the next step is I end up going to a physics conference up in Boston. And while I'm there, my friend who's going to MIT, he invites me to go out with a bunch of students who are going out to the streets. And what they do is... And it was maybe a couple of nights a week. They'd hand out socks. They'd hand out water. They'd hand out bananas. And they just have conversations with whoever's around. So I went with them and I did it and I fell in love with it. And immediately I thought to myself, this is what I want to do. Like, there's no reason I can't start doing this. Okay. And was that with a religious group or? No, it's just a bunch of students in it. And I ended up starting, there was basically some student who ended up starting it a number of years back and people just started coming out and joining them. And now it's, they still have it going up in Boston. I, it's got some weird name like back Bay mobile soup kitchen or something like that. So, okay. And, um, all right, well now what? So now when I go to Christ's house each week, I come out with a backpack and I start to hand out different supplies and get to know the men and women who are on the way there. And I just, fell in love with them the lord just blessed those relationships and um it was just it was honestly an adventure i got to be immersed into the lives of people who were so much different than me um whose experience was so much different than me but to kind of be accepted and invited into that was just genuinely an adventure okay at what point does this take you away from engineering so this was when maybe towards the last year I'm graduating my desire for continuing to come to know Christ in the poor in an intimate way is just growing and growing. So I end up spending some time discerning Franciscan religious orders because that just seemed like perhaps like the best way to actually make this happen. So I end up getting in touch with um, a group of Franciscans called the CFRs and they recommend me spending a year living in community, seeing what community life is like. So, and this was my last year of grad school when this was happening. Okay. So last year before a master's, last year before a PhD, what before do you mean? PhD, before PhD begins or you finishes. You were, finishes. Yeah. So were you working on a dissertation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you have a PhD? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know you had a PhD. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this is Dr. <laughs> Colin Miller. We're interviewing here. I need to. Yeah, I was a little right. offended when you didn't address yeah. me. <laughs> I, I don't tell anyone I'm a PhD I'm normally. It's just no longer really relevant to my life, you know? So, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, you go. I think most people listening to the podcast probably have heard of the CFRs, but they're a um, 
new foundation of Franciscans that I think happened in the late 80s, or early 90s. Right. And um, they're pretty hardcore as far as like voluntary poverty. Yeah, they're, I mean, Franciscans run the whole gambit and Franciscans have all varying levels of poverty and they've kind of been arguing about what does it mean to follow in the footsteps of Francis since Francis started walking. So the CFRs do have perhaps when you come to religious orders, they are a little bit more on, like they take it seriously. Right. Yeah. And so you spent a year with them? I spent one year with them, but not, um, not as a postulant, but actually as a missionary volunteer. So I was basically a lay missionary at a homeless shelter in St. Anthony's. It was St. Anthony's homeless shelter up in the Bronx. I might've been there. I only spent three days with them, but I felt like, I think I went to St. Anthony's homeless yeah, shelter. If you went to a homeless shelter, that's probably where it was. Right. Right. All right. So, all right. So you did that for a year. You come out of that. You're now like on no one's career path. You've got a <laughs> PhD and just wasted a year doing volunteer work. Yes. Uh, wasted meaning I say that of course, in the most loving way possible. <laughs> uh, so now what are you up to? So what am I up to present day? No. No. What am what I do up you do to after at you this leave point? the CFRs? Like, okay. Were you ready to like become a postulant or go a different direction? Well, at the beginning of the year, that's what I, th that's what I thought was going to happen. But um, over the course of the years, the beginning of the year, I wanted to join. Middle of the year, I was like, I'm never joining. At the end of the year, I was like, maybe I'll join. And at that <laughs> point, it was too late. So... I ended up being completely free to go anywhere and wherever the Lord wanted me. And I wasn't ready to jump back into engineering. Okay. Uh, well, where did you go? So I ended up uh, interviewing for a number of campus ministry jobs. Um, and I ended up getting to the final interview to uh, university, kind of in the backwoods of Pennsylvania, Shippensburg University. And while I'm out there, I take a day to pray about, okay, what do I... Where do I think the Lord is calling me? I was literally free to go wherever. I was living in my van at this point. So I could, like the world was my oyster. All like doors were kind of open. Now everyone needs to know, are you living in a van down by the river or are you doing van life like on YouTube, like the trendy thing? So I would say maybe somewhere in between, you know, it definitely was not any sort of glamorous glamorous thing i didn't have any franchise just like strip this van of everything put down some floors put down a bed and all my stuff and worked really well for me but it was a, it was a choice that's what i wanted was it like a minivan or like a um it was a, scary pedo van it, it was a green 1999 dodge ram camper van it was a camper van yeah her name was aurora you named it well that's interesting because ben who's the producer of this podcast has a vintage RV he's traveling around in right now. No and way. he named it too. What did he name it? I can't even remember. It's something <laughs> like Sam, but it kind of looks like a pig. Her name is Sally and she is beautiful. But I love you. I love you, Ben. All right. So you're, you're with Aurora in Pennsylvania. Yes. And do you take this job or what do you do? So I end up, and by the way, do they think it's weird when you roll up to a job interview in a sleeper in a, as a homeless guy in a van? Yeah, it's definitely weird. So that's why you park in the back of the parking lot and you walk, um, you walk so that they don't realize that's what you're doing. You go, you, you go through the interview process. What are you up to now? Are you taking this job? You 
going in your direction. Yeah, basically, I'm. it's the day before the final interview. I'm in the woods praying about this, and all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of places Baltimore on my heart and really affirms and confirms that desire. So I let him know, uh, okay, but you've got to help me fail this interview. And I bombed the final interview. I didn't get the job, so I set my sights on Baltimore. All right, I'm going to back up for one second. I do want to know like what you ended up doing in Baltimore. Um, but were there any books, uh, either books of the Bible or just books, that were really formative to you in this period? Like, Was there a way that you like... Like, did you feel like you already knew the faith when you had your powerful religious experience or did you have to start learning it or what? I was catechized, so I kind of knew the faith. But I think on a, on a personal level, you know, my relationship with the Lord, my trust in him was something that really needed to, needed to grow, um, at least at the time of my initial conversion. But, I mean, over the course of that time, there were a number of books they're very formative for me. When I decided to go to Baltimore, the book that was really um, inspiring me was He Leadeth Me by Walter Chiswick. Right. Yeah. You know, the bishop here in Kansas City, that's one of his favorite books. Yeah. I mean, it's it makes sense. Book. I love it. It's, yeah, I like it too. I reread it all the time. Really? You reread it? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So you go to Baltimore. Now, is that the beginning of Source of All Hope or is there something else in between? I mean, this point, Source of All Hope didn't exist. I basically end up showing up. I applied for a couple of jobs. Nothing came through. So I end up doing the really the only thing I know how to do. And it's going out to the streets, coming to know the men and women who are homeless and coming to know them as friends. So there was a street that I went to called MOK. It was basically the only street that I knew, but I knew there were men and women who were panhandling there. So I would go up and down the street with a backpack, Full, full of socks and water and just use that as an um, an excuse to start conversations and get to know them. And are you, um, how are you funding all this? I had a couple odd jobs eventually that came through. So I end up doing computer coding for young kids and I also teaching computer coding to young kids and eventually I got a gig as a part-time youth minister. So one of the things I have to remind people at Simple House of and have to remind myself of is like whenever we're bringing something to the poor, like in your case, like a pair of socks to the homeless, you have to remind yourself that these socks are not going to change their life. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, this doesn't even really matter. But then, like you said, you're using that to then have the conversation. Right. Right. Um, did you ever like give cash out to the homeless? No. Um, so you never had to stop giving cash out to the homeless because you I never mean, started? In When I was in D.C. and I was going going out to the streets, then that's those were my training grounds. That's where I made a lot of, learned a lot of different things. I would give cash out occasionally there, oh, but it wasn't often, but pretty quickly got messy at different points in time. So I basically reeled that back in and focused on the socks and water and focus on the relationship. Right. I, I think that's one of the most basic things you learn when you're working with the homeless is that that's not the way to go. Right. The relationship yeah. quickly becomes transactional if, right. if that happens, which is unfortunate. Okay. So how does this transition from just 
dude named Colin running the streets of Baltimore to an official organization based out of the Basilica in Baltimore? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty wild story. Basically, I end up, I'm going out to the streets. Some people who I knew back from my hometown and in the area, they started hearing about what I was doing. A couple of them joined me every now and then. So convinced a few of them to come out with me. And then what ends up happening, someone who's a mutual friend with me and the priest of the Basilica um, brings us together because what I didn't know at this point was that same summer that I got to Baltimore, this priest, Father James Bork, had put out a letter calling for a missionary program to go out to the streets and basically do what I was already doing. Now, I heard you say that a while back, put out a letter. Yeah. What's that mean, like put out a letter? It's not like he's the Pope where he's publishing an encyclical. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I honestly think what he did is he wrote this letter. He he did background and um yeah, he did background in writing letters for like a some sort of financial company, but he basically put together a letter similar to the style that he used to do it and just sent it to everyone in his contact list in his email. And that's what that looked like. Oh, so he's just like social networking this letter through his own social network exactly we need to have a missionary program to serve the homeless right and it didn't blow up until what ended up happening is he ended up having an encounter with um basically an encounter with um a homeless man who was a little bit mentally mentally ill and um this this man ended up um basically having like a confrontation with him um, and spitting, like spitting blood on him. And he was worried about, you know, the transmission of disease or something like that. This was a really, really weird event. But in that event, like it was posted on Facebook and it blew up and the whole archdiocese started hearing about this and hearing about what Father James wanted to do. And people started coming out of the woodwork to support him. Oh, so he didn't post on Facebook that he got spit blood on and make it like some weird event. He, he posted on Facebook that he wanted people to go serve the homeless. Yeah, I mean, I think he actually posted that initial story. And but he that didn't. was the clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, but, but he did. But he, it wasn't like, look at this terrible homeless guy. It was like, we got to help these people. No, they just like, spit blood on me. Exactly. He was like, these men and women, he would see them every time right. he'd be on the steps of the Basilica. And he was like, these men and women need our help. Like the church needs to do something. Well, I, I know this is a weird question because I know there's a lot of very special things that happen during ministry that aren't good stories. But what's like the best thing that's happened while you've been working with the homeless? Like any success stories or touching stories? Yeah. What's hard is there are so many different stories that have taken place. But for me, the best memories are when I get to do something out of the ordinary with one of the men and women who are there a lot of times it's just doing something fun. It's like, for instance, just before the pandemic, um, one of my best friends out on the street, we ended up going to a Beatles tribute concert. Uh, this was at the Lyric in Baltimore. And it was literally the last concert. It was hours before the shutdown came out. So I remember we were just in there having a great time at the concert. And afterwards we were like, that might have been the last concert to ever happen like we just don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic and to be able to 
experience that with him. And he's, he's a huge music fan and just, Oh, this friend is homeless. Yes. I somehow yes. missed that when I was listening to the story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you took a guy to a concert. Yes. As ministry yeah. or as, you know, as just part of the friendship you developed. Right. That's great. No, it was great. One of the, one of the parishioners at the Basilica was able to pay for our tickets and, and we went with them and it, it was just, yeah, it was an awesome time. So in Kansas City, COVID had a pretty massive effect on homelessness, which I've I found strange because Kansas City is not a place that locked down very much. We didn't have a, as big an economic disruption as some cities, you know, um, but the homeless population went up like 200 yeah. percent uh, in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I'm not and it was very visually obvious, like it went you know, like seeing a random person at the side of the road or a random tent at the side of the road to seeing groups of 50, 60 tents on open fields. That's wild. You know, and those have disappeared now. And I don't know if that means homelessness has gone down or that means that the, you know, basically the city went in and told them don't camp here anymore. I actually am kind of, we're still trying to figure out, like you're always kind of like a couple steps behind, you know, just observing, but um, we're not seeing the huge tent population. So it also could be that there was some temporary homelessness due to COVID that has largely alleviated. Did you see anything like that with your ministry in Baltimore? No, we didn't see any huge changes with the, the homeless population. And uh, our friends, we call our, um, the men and women that we're working with, we just call them our friends. So Right. Um, That's kind of a simple house thing too. Sometimes we have to say ministry friends just to create a little bit of a distinction because that's necessary sometimes. Exactly. So our ministry friends, basically we end up, um, you know, we ended up talking with them. They were like, it's so much harder to make money than before. A lot of them would panhandle to get money. um, And a lot of the services that previously existed, they were shutting down. So things became harder on the streets, but in terms of the population, we didn't really notice a huge change, actually. When did you, when did Source start? It was um, 2019, so August 15th, 2019. So you guys only had about six months of operation until COVID was kind of taking effect, maybe six to nine months? Yeah, we had about six to nine months, however long that was before the pandemic actually hit in. That, that is correct. Okay. So most of your ministry's history has been during pandemic. Yeah. What is the worst thing that's happened to you doing ministry? The hardest thing I think is when you see someone really start to make strides in getting maybe something that they're looking for, whether it's they're they're coming to church with you, or maybe they're they're getting off the streets, they're getting clean, and then when you see them fall back into that, what's hardest for me is seeing the shame that they carry in that place, and I think that's really difficult because I just know how much that cycle of shame can keep them locked into the places that they don't want to be. Right. So part of your ministry is taking people to church. That's is that right. Yeah, that's that's something we like to do when we're we're able to okay. do that. So one of the struggles at Simple House that I feel like deserves a whole project and like we should invite you guys at Source to be part of this project, but like 
it seems very difficult that like with the what's set up right now to help the poor become Catholic. Mm-hmm. And like I've got there's a lot of converts in my area that are coming out of the Anglican church, you know, and that's awesome. Like it's kind of like we got this super highway open for the Anglican church and people are very easily transitioning into Catholicism, right? And that makes sense also because of background. But also the RCA programs we have are very well suited for that also. Um, I feel like we don't have those avenues set up for the homeless, for the poor, for people with mental problems, for people who aren't intelligent. Um, You know, I'm not saying that necessarily we need to be welcoming. We need to have a program to take an active you know, drug user into the church. Um, but we do need to have programs that help make Christ's love available to those people and make Christ available to those people. And eventually, you know, as they get sober, like help them get into the church. Right. Right. Um, have you guys um, walked anyone through RCIA or kind of had to explore that yet? Yeah, we, so we've, we've tried to do that. We've never been successful bringing someone to RCA because it's just not suited for their lifestyle and everything that they're going through. So we have the exact same problem. And even bringing our, our friends from the street, bringing them to church is, is difficult in a sense because that's almost the deep end of the pool. You bring someone to mass, there's so much going on. There's so much that needs to be explained. And there's even, you know, the, the height of it, the, the Eucharist thing typically aren't able to participate in that. And You've got to explain that to him, them, but there really isn't a good shallow end of the pool where we have a good place to start introducing the faith to our friends that currently exists in like the, the paradigms of parish evangelization. Right. We need to brainstorm this. And I had a friend who was kind of like, hey, you know, the evangelization bleeding edge of the church is going to be the mass. And I'm thinking... I'm not going to say you're right or you're wrong, but what you're saying is incredibly modern. The fathers of the church did not think the mass was an evangelization tool, mm-hmm. right? Um, no doctors of the church ever talk that way, right? In fact, we even kick people out. Like we used to like, you know, kick all the new people who weren't Catholic out of mass before the Eucharistic liturgy. We'd, we'd bring them through the Eucharist, the liturgy of the word part, give them the homily, and then we'd kick them out for catechesis. You uh-huh. know, we actually wouldn't even let them do the Eucharistic part, you know, yeah. partly because it's just like you're put, it's, it's kind of like the deep end of the pool or it's just not the part that's available to them. Right. You know, um, but we have to like innovate here. You know, I have two yeah. ideas. One is we just create a new RCA program. We call it RCA for dumb people. Yes. <laughs> and that will attract a certain type of humble person who might actually work for. The other thing is, <laughs> do you know about this catechesis of the good shepherd? Yes, I have heard about this. I've only heard about it. My kids do it, but I really don't understand it. I feel like we need to like go research that and make that for adults. I mean, honestly, something like that, something like that would be awesome. Something needs to I really would argue something needs to be done. You know, even you see in the early church, you know, where did so many of the converts come from? It was the poor, it was the uneducated, it was the slaves, all these, all these people who were drawn into the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. And now our avenues are very intellectually driven. And I think that's a real challenge. And um, especially we've encountered this again and again with, with our friends, even meeting schedules, like 
meeting at a, at a certain point, um, meeting at different times of the day is kind of, yeah, sometimes it's like more suited. You have to suited. schedule it more for them. Yeah, right? you have to and, schedule and, it for them, yeah. And, and really, you're talking about the homeless primarily. Yeah, so I'm talking about the homeless with scheduling. It's not like we need RCA for the homeless. This problem is we need RCA for people who just aren't college educated. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we need, yeah. And what's also a challenge is like in my own faith life, things like the Oxford movement, um, I kind of had an intellectual conversion. Mm-hmm. I think most people who listen to our podcast had intellectual conversions, right? So it's kind of hard for us to put ourselves outside ourselves to try to figure out, like ask questions like how did Jesus interact? Right. Right. Like, like I have a feeling that the Samaritan woman at the well was a believer from that day forward. Right. Right. And not because she was well argued into the church. Right. She had a genuine encounter with, with Christ. And that set the stage for, for everything else. And so, all we're doing on this podcast is labeling that there's a problem. I think we're way shy of having any solution to present right now. Right. There's still, there's still work that needs to be done, but I, I think some of it, you know, it's not just work that needs to be done. It's work that needs to be begun. Yes. I don't think it's been begun. Right. And I I think that's the key though. You got to, you have to just start somewhere and figure it out. Even my own story, like I just had to start going out to the streets and encountering these men and women and, making mistakes. And that's the only way I really, I really learned was actually by stepping out of my comfort zone and stepping into these places of genuine relationship where I could know these men and women. And from there, so many other things were made possible. Cool. I, I have found this interview very interesting and I feel like Colin, we could do some more talks that were like almost like workshop talks about trying to iron out some ideas, maybe off the podcast, maybe on the podcast. I'm not sure, but um, I think it's cool. You came all the way out here to KC. One just to see simple house though. You want to shout out anybody else you visited? Yeah. I got to visit the sisters poor of Jesus Christ and they're coming to Baltimore next year. So we're really excited. They're doing a foundation in Baltimore? Yeah, they're going to be living in the convent that I used to live in. So Wow. So that's super exciting. I got to spend some time with them this week. And I also spent some time with uh, Community of the Lamb. They hosted me for a number of days as well. So, yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. Someday we have to have someone from Community of the Lamb. I don't know the, um, what was the other group? Sisters of... Or what the was it? Sisters Poor of Jesus Christ. And and they're a Franciscan group or not? Yeah, they're they're definitely arguably Franciscan. They're not technically Franciscan. Okay. But they're from Brazil. They look just like Franciscans. They act just like Franciscans. And the um little brothers and sisters of the Lamb. Exactly. They um claim to be a little bit Dominican, is that right? But they're not really Dominican? Yeah. I think they actually technically are Dominican, but they're almost like a combination of the Dominicans and the Franciscans, and okay. they try to go back to the original spirit of of Saint Dominic. So that's that's one of their big things, and yeah, right. Um, okay, well, it's been cool to meet you, Colin. It's been cool to meet you as well, Clark. This has honestly been a great trip. Kansas City is a lot less boring than I thought it was going to be.
Dang, dude. Kenzie's got a PR problem yeah. when people say things like that. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> knows about the barbecue, at least. Do they? Like, I knew I took you out to barbecue here, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, people know, people know about the barbecue. and Patrick Mahomes is making us a little bit famous. Yes. Yeah, we know about Mahomes and, and barbecue, but uh, that's it. All right. Peace out, everybody. Um, please like, subscribe, share. We'll keep trying to get you one episode a week. And thank you for listening to the Simpleton Podcast. All right.